Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. How good are these guys at football that they can just let games drift by? They can just let fucking careers drift by? Yeah. See the fucking season out. See every game out. Approach every minute with the same intensity. They're playing Norwich. <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And well, thanks for that, Liam. Thanks for heading away for nine days, leaving me to deal with the bloodsuckers on Twitter. <laughs> I, I tell you, I like doing this podcast. I love watching Villa and talking about Villa, believe it or not. <laughs> but I do not enjoy the anxiety of having to turn on my notifications on the Villa podcast on Twitter and seeing Brian Hennessy coming straight in, shooting from the hip, saying, This isn't good enough, you bunch of cunts. <laughs> Put in brackets, saying, I say that with massive dollops of affection, in fairness to Brian. Paul throws my own words back at me. He says, just figure it out. Just, just figure a way of doing this podcast. And then the village chair come in with the best one. And I have to hand it to them. It was brilliant. But absolutely roasting the two of us. And again, it's me left dealing with it because you're off sunning in Italy. He comes in with the Villa podcast on the beach since Easter. <laughs> I hope. 
I hope your holiday was worth it. Uh, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely worth it to come home and watch the fur coverage of that fucking pile of dung today. And then I didn't need to hear about those fucking. I was going to call them sadist cunts there because they're tuning in every week to listen to us have a breakdown. But then I realised they're all fucking masochists as well because they're not only are they watching Villa every week, they're going looking for content afterwards about that fucking torture and that pain. But the weirdest thing is. They're not getting any gratification from it, any sexual gratification from it. I fucking hope not anyway. We're all just watching Villa and it's shit and then we do it again next week. Wall to wall weirdos. <laughs> I really appreciate all the grief. Keep the feedback coming. It's nice. It's nice to know that you are listening. Although I do think, I do doubt now that people are listening the whole way through to the end because we did say, I said in the last podcast, we'd be coming on Tuesday. We'd be coming late. <laughs> But obviously people didn't make it through. Why would you make it through that nil-nil podcast the last day? This is touching into what you're saying there. People didn't make it to the end. They didn't hear me warning. This is why I'm saying it now. We Well, it's no point me saying it now. We're coming late for the Norway's podcast today. <laughs> but also we'll be coming on Monday for the Burnley podcast. I hope that suits you, Liam. And then we're back <laughs> straight into Liverpool then on Tuesday. I probably should have talked about this beforehand. But that's the plan anyway. So bear with us. That is the last delay, I think for the podcast then the season's pretty much over anyway so uh we'll be treating the summer the way villa have been treating the last few months it seems and i suppose there's nothing else to do but get into this match this norwich match which i was thinking about it today when you're a few days removed from it i was i was trying to remember what was the point of that game what happened it was a largely inoffensive game and then i i, I delved back into my brain a bit further and I remembered how shit the first half really was. You're probably fresher to this, but um only only lit up by Danny Ings coming on. And I am sure, I am sure everybody was out in force because I know I was myself. They were thinking that the Buendia agenda is a real thing. <laughs> Here comes Leon <laughs> Bailey's off. He's got his chance to put Buendia on. We got a shot of him on the sideline. And now he called for Danny Ings. I'm of his first touch. With his very first touch, he plays a lovely ball over the top. Watkins obviously controls it with the crown of his head. Where else would he control it with? Brings it down, and he just, like, the twist and the turn, the way he puts the defender back on his heels. Probably could square it to continue, but he just drills it in. Gets a bit of a deflection, and uh, just a lovely goal. And our strikers linking up, and Villa finally brighten up that first half. Yeah, like Danny Ings was obviously sitting on the bench listening to last week's episodes. Like, what, what did we say? If, if Watkins is one-on-one with 30 yards of space, then fucking hit it to him. <laughs> and that advice couldn't be given any more aggressively when he's one-on-one with Brandon Williams. And like he always does, Watkins does brilliantly to once again take everything off a ball that's dropping from the sky with his head and just drop it into space he can compete for it in. And luckily enough, Brandon Williams thinks it's a grass-cutting competition and he's... <laughs> And he's a fucking judge. Chooses such a bizarre moment to inspect the groundsman's work. But maybe, just like the rest of us, after 40 minutes, he just had enough and decided he would literally prefer to watch the grass grow than watch this fucking game any further. (laughs) Up until that point, like all Aston Villa games, after 20 minutes, it becomes clear that the, the good performance in the first 15 minutes was actually just a bit of energy and determination from individual players before the lack of game plan, patterns, overarching strategy just takes its toll and the players slip back under their shell and then the opposition realise, hang on, we're not even playing against a football team here, we're playing against 10 strangers that all happen to have the same fucking jersey. 
<laughs> and all of a sudden, our life has just become watching deferred footage four days later at lunchtime of Aston Villa riding the waves of being outplayed at home against one of the worst teams in the Premier League's 30 years to then go on to knocking the ball aimlessly around against one of the worst teams in the Premier League's 30 years. <laughs> it was a poor performance, a fucking boring game, but throw it on the pile we felt up this season. Yeah. And I, I would say let's just blow it up and move on to next season. But we said that last season as well, and that worked out fucking dreadfully. Like you were calling for the end of last season in March. You just wrote off five months of your life, your hobby, your passion. I'm fucking sick of this. Let's fast forward to next year so I can spend my afternoons watching Leon Bailey sitting on a patch of grass. That's what you were calling for last year. Look what you've got. I did spend far too much of, well, spent far too much of last season, yeah, wishing it away. And I also spent far too much of my Saturday afternoon watching Leon Bailey get treatment on the pitch. Fucking unbelievable. It was like it was televised physio coverage. <laughs> you know, for any like budding young physios out there, come watch this villa match on Saturday at three o'clock. You're gonna you're in for a real treat. We're gonna show you all sorts of injuries on the one on the one subject. He's, he's gonna get a thigh injury, he's gonna get a hamstring injury, he's gonna get a an impact injury, and then he's gonna come off and we're gonna show you how to deal with that as well. It's gonna take time, but you know, make a cup of tea, sit down and enjoy it. Like this is a great physio show for all you physios out there. <laughs> See, they're fucking showing that in Jordanstown now next semester. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, you're right. Um, okay, a lot of Villa games have been slogs far too often recently, and they've been lit up by the same man recently, over and over, and it's Emmy Buendia. Once again, he comes onto the pitch. He gets 15 minutes this time. Can't believe it. He got an extra five. And he was brilliant. Again, it was it was joyful to watch him. It was frustrating because it was like, what more does this boy have to do? It's it is annoying because you're looking at it going, it doesn't matter how much he does here, he's not playing the next match. And but for those fifteen minutes, he brightened up my Saturday afternoon. It was uh it was another great performance from him and it's him who sets up the first goal or the next goal, obviously, the the, the one that clinches the game, make it two 0 not that Norwich we're never, we're never so bad. Like that was a worrying thing. If that was any other team, I feel like Villa would have had another bad day out. Uh, they just they did have a bad day. It really just a better result. But when Dia comes on, charges forward, sets up Ramsey with a little no look pass after looking just to make sure everything was right. Bad miss from Ramsey. To be honest, you expect that they whip into the top corner. Ball bobbles right up into there, and when Dia's first touch, get that deflection down, and then Danny Ings. That's the Danny Ings. That we were talking about, ball dropping in the box, sprinting to get onside, back to goal, swivel, bang, in the net. A poacher, predator, getting a goal out of nothing when when Diaz taking the ball down and you're thinking, wait, you're getting in his way? No, actually he's just scoring. That's the Danny Ings that we thought we were going to have and, well, hopefully we do have from here on in. Yeah, fourth time lucky or something though, he missed a lot of chances. He did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Buendia changed the game, like a game that was just inexplicably allowed to drift out of our control against one of the worst teams in the Premier League's 30 years history. And Buendia injected energy and, and more importantly, creativity and ambition. Like he was just, he got on the ball a lot and he tried to make things happen, which was so, such a relief. You're right, like it did just changed change my outlook in life, never mind the perspective of the game. And the goal, it's, it's brilliant from Watkins to win it back initially. And like he was for the 20 minutes he was on the pitch, it's perfect from Wendy. He just drives forward and plays a perfectly weighted. I, know, I think you're maybe overselling it a bit, but not 
not a very difficult pass to Ramsey. Yeah. And it's really a surprisingly dreadful finish from JJ. And then Buendia shows McGinn how to effectively and appropriately use your fucking arse to get what you want. <laughs> and it's strange because he was having an arse off of McGinn every game at the start of the fucking season. And I'm, I'm glad this he's managed to beat it. And maybe maybe that's why Jared dropped him. Maybe he could see he was falling on with a bad crowd, so he took him away from it and gave him a new life on the bench. And now look at him. He can go out, he can go out for one or two casual arses on a Saturday afternoon and leave it at that. And yeah, Danny Ings does brilliant. <laughs> Not only swivel and turn on it, but to get back on side initially, he realises he's just standing there in, in the wrong position and he uses all his noise to get back out there and smash one in. Yeah, and maybe the, the reason I'm overblown that when the uh, pasty Ramsey initially... It's because it's him that opens the whole thing up. But when he came on, it was it was just him. It was him over and over. And once again, now, like what we had always said all along with Buendia when he was bad at the start of the season, we'll always excuse somebody losing the ball when they're making things happen. And he was making things happen. And you know, when he loses the ball now, it's actually, sometimes I think it's a strength. It's like, you know, well, he's the one trying to make things happen because he always is. He's opening the thing up. His first touch turns on the ball. He drives it on the walk-ins. He goes and gets it back. Roast his man, he played Ings through, Ings is offside. Then he feeds Ings again, Ings plays it across for that Watkins chance. And it's it's like, oh my god, like I, I think Gerard is going to have to rally against this five something. Like, you know, he's going to have to come in hard because like if Bundia is going to actually you know what? Maybe Gerard will be opting for the five something. Because if he's bringing on Bundia, he can get him off again if he keeps this up. <laughs> because because Buendia's performance is putting pressure on the manager to get him in the team, especially when we're not playing that well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right to mention the first thing he did as well, because the ball came to him almost immediately, and it was what a fucking introduction it could have been. The snap and that pass into Watkins, and to go and get it again, and then to say send Aaron's to the shops for a packet of Monster Munch and a Diet Coke. <laughs> And play the ball perfectly through to, to Danny Ings. Like, yeah, it was it was an incredible introduction. All of a sudden, you just snap out of your sleep and sit forward in your chair again and realize you're supposed to be doing something that you enjoy. Yeah. Only other thing I have to talk about at the top of the show. Did you spot in the first half? I think Bailey was down one of his times injured. <laughs> and uh, the manager, Stephen Gerrard, turns around to his bench. He tells Chuck Wemmick and Bertrand Sorori to warm up. <laughs> Chuck Wemmicka bounces up and goes and warms up Bertrand Terori staring back at him <laughs> he's, got, he's got his snoot on top of his head he's looking just got his eyes barely looking out from underneath it and Jared has to turn around for a second time and tell him to warm up and he is not like Bertrand Terori is not happy at having to get up off his arse knowing as well what we all know that well A. Bailey's not injured and B. I'm not coming on why are you telling me to warm up me or Chuck or, like, let me save Chuck the, like I'm the wise old head here. Chuck, get back here. None of us are coming on. If Buendia is not coming on, we're definitely not coming on. <laughs> so why are we warming up after 12 minutes? Yeah, and maybe maybe Jared just felt sorry for Tori because he was sitting there in a stood, despite the fact that it must have been fucking warm like it is everywhere else. <laughs> so can, Ashley Young was sitting there in a t-shirt. He was, I thought he was gagging to come on. Then I realised it was just fucking warm. What are you doing in a snood? Get up, Bertrand. Move around. Get your feet stamping. What the fuck are you playing at? I don't really think we should be laughing at this. So where the fuck has Bertrand Rory been? Yeah. And why is he refusing to warm up? Get up. Show that you want to come on. Show that you're better than that waste of space in the right wing. You had a decent enough game today. But get on the fucking pitch. Do, do what you can do. I want, I want to see Bertrand Trory again. Not just his fucking eyes peering out from behind 
the fucking coach's heads. <laughs> that is true. Like that's what I'm thinking about him now. Like a few months ago, if you had asked me to think of Bertrand Traore, the first thing you think of it's just him bringing a ball down from the sky and doing something stupid with it, but somehow getting through. Now I'm just seeing him sitting at the back of the bench with just the bottom of his eyes looking out at the managers, if to say, "Do not ask me to warm up." <laughs> I don't know what's happened to him. Uh, it's a shame, really. And I hope. I don't know, we're probably going to move on now without him is the, is the unfortunate thing. But we're going to talk about some of that uh, later in the podcast, so we won't eat into it now. Right now, we'll just go to WhatsApp Winches. See you there. How often did Tyro Mings find touch today? <laughs> or last week, as it was. <laughs> <laughs> Twice is the answer. So two weeks wages for Tyro Mings. Sorry about that, Mr. Captain. But the ninth minute of the game, scoops it up in the corner and then just overheads it out for a for a throw-in anyway. He could have just hit it out for a throw-in. But he chipped it up lovely and volleyed it over his own head out for a throw-in. And then the worst one was in the second half where he makes a brilliant tackle up in the top left corner. Norwich players on the turf with the strength and the conviction of the tackle. Dean is just waiting. Look at Dean. Just, send, just roll out to me here on my left foot. We're on the left side. I'll swing it in. Mings. Just passes straight out of play under no pressure. He just passes out of play with his right foot. There's no pressure on him. He's looking back at Luca Dean waiting. And he just passes it out. It's unbelievable. And he, you know, immediately, maybe this is what you want, but it is funny. He passes out of play and then starts roaring everyone to get up. Like, he actually is doing the find and touch thing. (laughs) (laughs) Wasted a big chance, big crossing opportunity. And then... Like, yeah, I suppose it is right now. He's right in this situation, but the context is we should not be in this situation. Ah, he just fucking loves it. And sometimes you just, sometimes something is so awful and so terrible, but also so common that you end up just kind of having a little bit of affection for it. <laughs> and I think Tarot Mengs' propensity for finding touch is one of those things. And it's funny because whenever he scooped that one up, I was under absolutely no illusion about what I was about to see next. I was about to see the ball just land into the crowd where it should have just gone anyway first time. The other, the, whoever was pressurising him wasn't exactly being very aggressive either. No. Tyrone Minks put his hand back to hold him off and the guy was just like, all right, yeah, you've, you've, you've won this one. You're fucking huge. Go for it. Do whatever you want. And he's got a couple of seconds and once he scoops it up, the guy's still not going for it. Like a, a defender has scooped the ball up. The ball's not moving quickly. Go in and get that now. Try to nick it around the other side of him. And he still stands off and Big Ty just swings it up over his head anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you what I don't find endearing. First WhatsApp points. The amount of Villa players who shoot knowing they're going to get fucking blocked. Yeah, it's pretty fucking irritating. All right. Um, and I think there was one that Leon Bailey, not to, not to strift into the Ronnie Rosenthal award as well, <laughs> but there was one where Leon Bailey refused the shot. Like, to be fair, he was, he was calm on the ball and he didn't take the shot because he saw a load of bodies in front of him. But, you know, there's some players you don't want to be having time to think before you should either. And he ends up cocking it up and he just rolls the ball back behind. I think it's I think it's John McGinn, who's nowhere near him at all. It was dreadful. But at least he didn't shoot it into bodies, unlike every <laughs> other fucking cunt on the pitch. <laughs> at least he didn't shoot it into bodies. Yeah. Second WhatsApp point. If Norwich want to be taken seriously in the Premier League, they need to come back with a more serious kit. <laughs> like this, you know, this yellow and bright green shorts. Like It's like an underage team kit, you know, or something you'd get at a summer camp. I know what you're thinking. Well, hang on, Brazil, 
Brazil are yellow and you know, they're, is their flag not green? Yeah, the flag's green. But Brazil know that if you have green shorts, you look like a crowd of numpties. So Brazil will go with blue shorts. They look like they're a serious outfit. They don't have any stupid green stripes going around. Like bright, bright green, offensive green, just going through the like the, the, the kit in random directions. And ah, like it's, Brazil would never demean themselves so much as they wear green shorts as well. Like, like, Norwich, everything about their kit just looks like a team that shouldn't be top-level football. Yeah, Brazil also do pick Douglas Louise and send them a field for themselves. You know, that's not that's not hold them up as a bastion of knowing all things as a good about football. But once again, you've confused the Villa podcast with the fashion podcast. <laughs> Dean Smith is a fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I like what, what was this boy thinking? I'm sure we talked about this before already, but like I, I can't let it go. It's I saw somebody tweeting today just asking about, you know, what was the transfer that really cut you open? And your Liverpool fans were talking about Torres and I can't stop thinking about Gareth Barry and that news of the world spread. And I can't stop thinking about Dean Smith just just not taking a beat. Like, take a fucking breath and think about what you're doing. He jumped into the Norwich job, the worst job in the league, the, the, the surefire relegation job. And he jumped in with a week's notice. Like he went to America for a week, came back and took the Norwich job. Like just, just take, take your time. Like just see what's happening and what's happened since he took the Norwich job and the Newcastle job was around then as well. Although I don't think they would have taken him. But since then, Watford, Everton, Leeds, Burnley, all these jobs came up and they're all way better jobs. And they're all jobs that I think he would have made a really good fist at of keeping them up. Like every one of those teams could still go down now. Might end up being Leeds the way it's fucking turning out, but I think he would have done a really good job of each of those teams. A way better job. If he gets Norwich up again, who cares? They're still in their green shorts. If he gets them back. <laughs> and worse for me is that he's going to join that list now of managers who've gotten teams promoted from the championship more than you know one time. He's going to be up there now with Mick McCarthy and Neil Warnock and he's and yeah. Steve Bruce. And we, we all know the only reason you're upset here is because you don't have to edit that sting instead of just constantly playing it for people to know that you're a fucking re- an idiot. And yeah, we said it at the time. I remember the first game I saw, I was like, oh my God, what have you done here? Like the, the players are just dreadful. Like they, they brought Brandon Williams in on loan. Like, you know, the, the, this was a, this is where they're punching at. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a terrible decision. And you're right, he just panicked. He just wanted something else. He was Maybe he was just scarred from losing his his ideal job that was the job the only job he ever wanted and he didn't have it anymore and he just reacted panicked made a bad decision took a Norwich job I'm sure he'll get them up next year but bad bad call from Dean Smith yeah but as well what it has given us though is the is the opportunity that we've all been looking for is to reveal how bad a manager Frank Lampard is and you never know because Dean Smith took the Norwich job we might see Frank Lampard get relegated and that would just be Bring a smile to everyone's face. If you had a said to me six months ago, Dean Smith would get relegated, but also Frank Lampard would get relegated, I think I would have bitten your arm off at the fucking shoulder. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd be a bit more giddy about that if it wasn't for Sunday's result and they beat Chelsea. Like the, the record beforehand was, I think, I think they had lost eight out of the twelve matches that he'd taken charge out of Everton with. You know, he'd taken them even further back. Benitez was never going to get them relegated. And he was just overseeing this plummet to new depth for Everton. And and now he's brought back Cunt Everton and it seems to be working. Like he's he's made them a bunch of assholes and to get a result against Chelsea, but then Chelsea Villa on the beach. 
Chelsea are on a Pacific Island beach. Like they are so far away from from any mainland that they're like they are just parked up. Everybody wanting to get out of the club. Nobody knowing what their future is. Job already done. They're going to come third. Probably they might get caught by Arsenal now at this rate. But um, yeah, the Lampard laughs would have been better a week ago. I say, but but like, all those jobs like, like Watford. You know, would he have gotten over Claudio Ranieri? I think he would have. I think he was a better candidate than Ranieri before Roy Hodgson comes in. He could have gotten the Watford job twice. Would uh, <laughs> would he have been a better pick than Frank Lampard? Yes. Jesse Marsh? Yes. Michael Jackson? Probably not. The way he's going, he could be the best manager of all time, the way Burnley are going at the minute. But, uh, <laughs> but like, he could, he could have, like, it was realistic that he could have gotten all those jobs as well. But like, yeah, like you say, he, just, he wanted to prove... I don't know, maybe he just didn't want to sit doing nothing and a panic thinking what will become of me like rather than just looking at the premier league and the madness that it is and all the jobs that'll come up yeah yeah strange decision <sighs> anyway we'll go to the awards after this good evening i wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain jack Greenlish. and now we've been gutted Organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees are taking our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual. It's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh... He certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think differently. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, we're still trying to replace Gian. I told you we can't do it. We can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Create him in the aggregate. What? A what? His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others in three forward players. Three ball players, three ball players. And in doing so, have also reduced an over-dependency on one brilliant footballer. Add that up and you get... Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey, and Danny Ings. They truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. All right, let's fly by the Rossenthal Award here. Well, we're corner. Look at Dean, Tay Watkins, good run, volleys it miles over. And then... Uh, Leon Bailey, good balls, an in-swinger into Coutinho. First-time touch, tees up, look at Dean. Cash gets a header to back post, just doesn't get enough on it. Like It's, it's a lovely uh, Leon Bailey gets from right into, on his left foot, gets it into Coutinho towards the byline. Lovely first touch. And Dean just puts it across. Cash needs to get in a bit harder. There. Defender's in his way, so it's hard. And uh, a few more here, but we'll do these first three first. Leon Bailey off the bar, nearly... Nearly off the stanchion, which would have, uh, you know, just it just drops a little bit lower, and that's going right in off the very, very top corner. Yeah. So 
the corners it's a lovely idea and we've seen it before it's it's a routine we've used before before as well i mean apparently your center forward standing in the middle of the box and running to the front post is so difficult to figure out and it's, it's a really difficult volley to get on target and he doesn't it's nowhere near it it's it's a dreadful finish uh the cash at the back post brilliant ball from dinia williams does well at the back post it stands his ground bailey just shows unbelievable feet and it's a great effort as well. And it's a fucking brilliant save from Poundland, Emmy Martinez, in the night school. <laughs> Let's do uh, the Danny Ings hour here. <laughs> Danny Ings. Uh, lovely one-two of Watkins. Beautiful ball over the top from our boy Ollie, who was brilliant. Um, how long does Danny Ings want? How long do you want? Like, takes the touch. You can see Gerrard saying he needs to, needs to hit it first time. It's like, it, it doesn't need the touch. It's, it's sitting up for him to, to smash it in. And then straight from the corner... Danny Ings off the post and uh, per Tim slices it over them when his eyes probably lit up thinking I can't believe he's got a rebound here to come off the post and bang off the off the side of his foot well over the bar. Oh yeah, per Tim is it? I can, I can imagine how this would be going down if it was uh, Leon Bailey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the first one there, it's, it's a lovely piece of football and Ings does brilliantly twice and fucking terribly twice as well. I mean, like, he shouldn't intercept Felipe's pass but he does and he does well then to manufacture the one-two with Watkins. And he takes an incredible touch that he shouldn't be fucking taking. Yeah. It's a really bad decision to take the touch. And then the shot was never going to happen. You take a touch inside the six-yard box with a defender behind him, the goalkeeper in front of him, just hit it. Gerard was right. And it's a fucking incredible header from Danny Ings. And he's about a centimetre away from scoring an absolute screamer. And you can see that written all over his rueful smile. And yeah, Tim, it's fucking dreadful. The the connection on the ball is atrocious. Yeah, per Tim, so unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Philippe Coutinho, you know this boy. You give him a couple of seconds, and he can do anything. Like that, 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 that is an overused phrase. You give anybody time, you know, <laughs> they'll be a good player. It's like, well, no, they won't. They won't pick out Ollie Watkins the way Coutinho does. It's a bending ball right into his path. Watkins takes it to the left, hits the side netting. Um, just lovely ball from Coutinho and then um, and, and then Buendia comes on and he does that thing he did last week where he whips it around the far post and it just doesn't bend in enough I want to see him I want to see the keeper saving that next time overcorrected at least don't do the same shot I know <laughs> you're getting very close to that bottom corner but uh, let's get it inside the post yeah he, he gets nowhere near enough on it and the pass from Coutinho for the, the first one you mentioned there was absolutely was absolutely brilliant it was unbelievable even the commentator sort of creaming himself in the in the gantry it was gorgeous pass and it was so inventive as well because he came, it came out of nowhere the ball's tight tight to his feet and he does have a little bit of space but it's, it's still a fucking unbelievable pass to dig it out we had that walking chance as well that we mentioned the one that Buendia played through the Ings and Ings plays the walk and hits it over Buendia was there he wanted that back probably would have well I would have liked to have seen Buendia get another chance to score but uh he also set up Ramsey which it's, for me, it's either Ramsey or or Danny Ings when Watkins plays Danny Ings through. And I want to say Ramsey, not just because Danny Ings wins it all the time, but just because of how disappointed I was that Ramsey didn't score again. It was, it was just like, that was, uh, was I just love when Ramsey scores and it was he should have scored. He was so close to scoring and he did really badly, if we're being honest. Yeah, and the one from the Watkins pullback, yeah, he just needs to turn off the fucking Leon Bailey DVDs. I mean, it was a dreadful attempt from Watkins from the Ings pullback. But Ramsey, I think he has to win as well because Ramsey should definitely be scoring from there. 
But it's a chance that a lot of people miss as well. You see that exact same connection with the ball so often where you think you're opening up your body enough to whip it around the goalkeeper and you're just not. You're just hitting it with your ankle and it's never going far enough around them. Maybe should him and Buendia should have a little chat with each other and figure out why Buendia keeps bending far too wide. <laughs> you like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award? Just push up. Just push up and put a bit of pressure on them. Norwich lose the ball every time. They're forced to go forward. The only time they can keep the ball is when you let them keep the ball. But Villa just backing off. and yeah, like if, if Chambers and, and Mings can't deal with one Norwich forward who has no support, no good balls coming into him, because then also the balls will be pressurised when they're coming into him, if they can't deal with that, then let's revisit their contracts. They just push up. <laughs> push up and win the ball back. Yeah, and you left out, they've also got no pace as well, so there's nothing to fear in behind, it's grand. And it, it was really frustrating, and, and this is why I was having a little rant there. To start. It's not just about using my lunch hour to fucking watch a game and you know take an hour out of it as well, but it's, it's, it's a fact that Norwich were dominating that second half before we got the goal, before the change was made, and that's not good enough. Like Billy Gilmore shouldn't be getting on the ball in midfield and having time and space to turn around and pick yeah. passes. Get in on top of him, especially with the energy we had in that midfield. We just let it drift again. And this is the really frustrating thing about Aston Villa since I have ever supported them is they can't just seem to ever have the attitude to go for the full game, to show energy and desire for the whole game. I know they've got very little to play for this season, but they've got fans to play for, for one. I've talked about that before. But also imagine how difficult it is to be a professional footballer. These guys are fucking... They must be unbelievably competitive in their own heads to get to that level, to be that good at football. How fucking good are these lads that they don't even have to try? How good are these guys at football that they can just let games drift by? They can just let fucking careers drift by? See the fucking season out. See every game out. Approach every minute with the same intensity. They're playing Norwich. The worrying thing for me afterwards was that Gerard was talking about McGinn and he said he's he's more of a free spirit. He wants to be let off the leash a bit more. And he was talking about getting the number six and, and, and maybe letting McGinn play a bit more naturally. But I was we're supposed to have a number six there. So why like why are we telling our other midfielders to tuck in as well? Like we're so deep. Like we're so deep, we're so conservative. McGinn's natural game. We are better defensively by telling John McGinn to run up there, and if you don't win it, run over there, and if you don't win it, run back here. <laughs> because, because he can do that. Let him do it. Let him off the leash. You're the one that's got him leased up. Yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right as well. And be, Jacob Ramsey can cover ground as well. He's not as good as tackling or as getting his body in position as as John McGinn is, but he can cover ground like fucking nobody else can in centre midfield in the whole league. The guy just eats up the ground, as you know yourself. And I think with with Tim playing there today, John McGinn was definitely more effective. It was definitely his best game in the last couple of months, especially in the first 20 minutes. He was a lot more over the pitch. He was a bit more aggressive going forward. He was able to try. You could see that he felt he had the freedom to do it a bit more himself. So... It, it, it is really inexplicable that Aston Villa don't play with a bit more aggression. I think Stephen Gerrard mentioned in his first couple of weeks that he was obsessed with getting clean sheets, and I immediately just alarm bells going off in my head there because there's different ways to get clean sheets. You don't have to fucking put 10 men behind the ball to get a clean sheet, and you certainly do not have to do it against fucking Norwich. 
you mentioned Tim there. I got a nomination for the You Like Glenn Whelan Take a Native Middle Penalty Award. And it's bringing on Dougie for Tim. It's like, what a boring substitution. <laughs> like, we know... <laughs> We know what Douglas Louise can do. Like we're not in any threat. You know, if Tim's tiring, like it doesn't matter. Like we're playing, you just said it. We're playing Norwich. You know, let let him play ninety minutes. It's bringing Dougie on. It was such a waste of a sub. When we already had him make a sub through injury, and we already know that when he is coming on eighty minutes, but that was probably forced in to bring him on seventy five. But <laughs> just oh, it just made that game more unenjoyable. It was like oh, a six for a six. You know, or a supposed six for a six. Great. Like here yeah. we go. Yeah, and it it is whenever games are really boring as well. There's only there's there's certain things that you're still only still watching it for. Like you know, you're engaged in some things, and Tim was one of the things that I was watching that yeah. game for. It wasn't it wasn't for my fucking love of watching dire one nil victories. Turned out to be two 0 victories for Aston Villa, seeing out a game against Norwich, passing the ball around their backline, which they did quite well, which is surprising for Aston Villa. But they were playing Norwich, so it was a lot easier than it otherwise should have been. We already talked about Buendia. Uh, we've, we've talked about this next one before as well, but I do take Kanza being dropped so personally. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, it just it, it just stirs something deep in my guts that I don't like. It's it's a, it's a sickening feeling. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Every time I don't see Kanza on the team sheet, it really gets me blood boiling. Like that would be the closest thing to being triggered. As I could get, Kanza not being <laughs> on the team. Even seeing people, and I have nothing against Callum Chambers, but seeing people asking for Callum Chambers over the last few weeks when Kanza was in, we just kept a clean sheet against Leicester. And we've, I don't know, maybe we're just rotating it because it is Norwich, but I, I think I'm just so paranoid. All these links with Joe Gomez, Gerard going out of his way to get Chambers talking about he wants four center halves. I'm just so paranoid that it's Kanza that he's trying to replace. And I'm, I'm so convinced that he is so wrong in wanting to do that. Yeah, I obviously think he's wrong as well. And the Joe Gomez rumours are worrying if you're a big Kanza fan because they're very, very similar types of players. Yeah, can I just say, sorry to cut you off, the, the Gomez thing as well, like, you know, not against Joe Gomez, looks like a good player, like, it looks, it looks pretty much like Kanza, to be honest, only we know Kanza's got more experience playing center half and more consistently doing it for Villa week in week out it's just it's just energy and money being spent in a place that we don't need it a right side of center half we, we I don't think we need that just yet like let's go after Joe Gomez once we sort everything else out but the fact that we're only talking about Gomez it's all we're hearing at the minute and these things usually aren't that wrong yeah, and that's the thing. It's always really worrying. If we're going to spend money in Joe Gomez, it better not be at the expense of spending money yeah. in a different position because there's obviously bigger holes in the team that need to be sorted out. Right wing, centre midfielder, way, way bigger priorities than replacing our best player for the last two years. And then the only other nomination I have for you, like them, we didn't take a 90th minute penalty award, is Gerard's comments afterwards. Yeah. This stuff, I don't think this stuff is nice for a team to hear. And, and like maybe that's the point, but I don't think it's a, it's a good point. The way Gerard comes out and it, it's happening constantly now. I think the players know, the fans know that he's trying to raise the bar. But he came out afterwards and he said, I'd like to have more killers in the team. We had too many opportunities and only scored a couple of goals. And it's, it's, it's just like he's telling the players that he currently has. I'm replacing all you lot. 
And again, some people might listen to this and think, what's what's wrong with that? That's fine. This lot's shite. We spend enough time calling them shite as well. But there, there's also an element that I don't like in this is that like sometimes I worry that Gerard thinks we had way more chances than an average team would have, which we normally don't. We do miss some chances, Danny Ings usually, but it's not <laughs> any more than other teams. Like that, They're not the reason why we're not playing well. And he just seems to click. Is he saying there I want to replace Ings and Watkins and then coming out in the same post-match interview and praising Ings and Watkins? But that, I, I just don't like that. I'd like to have more killers in the team. Well, coach the players that you have and, and, and work with them. And let's add to it as well. But you don't need to come out and say you're going to replace them every two weeks. <laughs> but like maybe that's what he's saying maybe he's saying he wants to develop some killers in the team we know that's not what he's saying he's saying he wants to buy a 28 year old centre forward I'm sure <laughs> but, but that is 35 year old 36 year old <laughs> that is the one thing that you would definitely say about um, Ollie Watkins because like, it's, it's a really odd time for me to diverge into slagging off Ollie Watkins after the performance he's put in the last two games but he doesn't score enough goals for somebody of his ability he needs to take chances that he creates himself a bit more clinically and he, he should he should have higher numbers and a and higher output for himself danny ings has been danny when danny ings numbers aren't dreadful for a team that are quite bad as well but he misses a lot of big chances you can see why that would be galling for a manager as well particularly one who might be looking for excuses seeing as he's just come off the back of the five game win the streak and only ended it by beating the worst team in the last 30 years of premier league <laughs> yeah and after all this conversation, the Tim Sherwood, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. <laughs> the, the only nomination I actually have, obviously there's a few good things going on as well, but probably the, the most impressive somewhere along the way. And I didn't see this happening. I didn't feel it. I don't feel like it has happened. But Villa have kept 11 clean sheets this season. Yeah, it's strange. I wonder how many levels Ezra Kanza was playing in as well. But it, it does feel like a strange statistic to read out because... As you said, as you well know, Conan, we do not get no little draws. <laughs> that is just not something this club does. And we all thought it was magical last week whenever that happened. But yeah, that is that is surprising. I'm sure. The, the, the one thing I was thinking during that game as well, though, is that Tyrone Mings has been quietly brilliant for the last couple of games, oh, and I maybe have. we haven't we haven't been giving him enough praise for that. But that's because that's we that's what we expect from him in a weird sort of way. We also expect him to absolutely cock up a lot. But we also expect him to be brilliant because he's got everything you need to be brilliant, apart from a decent bit of concentration every once in a while. And he has had that the last couple of games and that has definitely helped. Yeah, no, Mings has been really good. Uh probably brings us on to the Vyman meter going up. Tyrone Mings going up. Emmy Martin is Another clean sheet. That's 11 now for the season. I don't know if I've told you that. Uh, <laughs> de- decent save on Rashiki. Didn't have anything to do. Good save overhand. Maybe Martinez doesn't need to be going up here. <laughs> Look at Dina. Three weeks out instead of what was supposed to be six. I think he broke his collarbone or he did something his collarbone and he's back after three weeks. So that was a nice surprise. And Ollie Watkins, he's just, it's just a good egg, isn't he? Like he just, it just works hard. He does the right thing. It's just a good egg. Yeah, he's an absolutely dream for a manager to have in one way. Uh, like I said, the lack of goals, not the lack of goals, he, sh- he should be scoring more goals, but he more, more than makes up for it, the way he plays, the way he wins ball, the way, like we've said it so many times before, he wins every ball that you play to him, if there's any sort of space. He's never beaten by a defender. It's, he's an absolutely incredible centre-forward and has been toiling a lot this season, playing for a team that won't give him anything to feed off. Um Another player that could go up definitely is Danny Ings. I mean, it was great yeah. that Gerard used the opportunity, and this could be a 
uh, we play two number 10s and bamboozled them award as well, used the opportunity to sort out the mess he had allowed the game to become, the embarrassment it had become in the first half of being outplayed by Norwich. And it was it was rectified by just deciding to make the change in formation as well instead of just replacing Bailey. I know we might have been calling for Buendia, but the team wasn't working. It wasn't functioning properly. And once we changed the system by bringing on Danny Ings, it worked. But we've also talked about this before. Why does he need an excuse? Why did he need to wait until halftime? He was just going to see that out until halftime, that absolute shit show that was developing. Like, we're being outplayed at home against the worst team in the league. Sort it out. Don't wait for an excuse. Don't wait yeah. for Leon Bailey to go down for the 16th time. Just make the change before that. <laughs> yeah. If you, if, you, if you want to create some killers in your team, why don't you point a gun at them and see what they do? <laughs> going uh, down. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say going up, obviously, Tim. I mean, we mentioned in there briefly, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Again, the, the first thing he did was a little shoulder faking to go back towards yeah. his keeper and then just carrying a past his man forward. Followed that up with a fucking Matty Cash special, daring the lad to go around him, down the wing, and then making him regret his life choices by just crunching <laughs> through him. It was fucking incredible. And he just was brilliant all game. He drifted a little bit in that, in that period where Norwich got on top. But then after that, he was stepping into tackles. He became a lot more aggressive. I don't know if one of the coaches had a word with him to not be letting the game drift by him. And he was putting his foot in. And it was the Tim that we've seen for the last couple of games. That's a, that's now 110 minutes where Tim, where Tim couldn't have impressed me more. <laughs> yeah, going down, Philip Coutinho to the top right corner. <laughs> I can't remember that. I don't think I've ever seen that when it hasn't been black and white. <laughs> it's so far gone. It hasn't happened for Billy yet. He tries it and he tries it and he tries it. He gets blocked or he scares it over. It's just... Uh, it's not happening. Maybe he doesn't have it in his arsenal anymore. But like, I, I think I said this whenever we were linked with him. There was a fucking period towards the end of his Liverpool career where he did it every fucking week. Yeah. And then he did it in the World Cup as well. I was like, what a big fucking surprise. Like everyone's talking about this being a script. That's what's what he does. He just gets on the ball to the left-hand side of the box and whips <laughs> it into the top corner. And yeah, it's fucking dreadful. Yeah, it's frustrating because I know he really wants it to happen as well. And it's just, maybe he wants it too much. <laughs> Going down... <laughs> Going down, the newest and the worst chant in football history. And what I love about this is that I know, because you were away for nine days and you were avoiding the internet recently because you didn't want to see the Villa score, I know that you haven't seen this chant yet. And it goes like this. One hag, two hag, three hag, four hag, five hag, six hag, seven hag... Eight hag, nine hag, ten hag, ten hag, ten hag, ten hag, ten hag, ten hag. Give me your live reaction. Fucking hell, that is definitely the worst chant I've ever heard. It's fucking diabolical. But look, this is what, this is the madness of being a Man United fan for the last couple of months. This is, they've obviously all, now we all suspected that they might well have gone a little bit insane. And now we have. The truth, the, the proof of that. There it is in, in beautifully sung choral from you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was funny because you were talking about Tim there in 110 minutes. And I was genuinely thinking, you know, 10 more games like that. And he's going to be the new answer to United's problems. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's get Tim in. But it's all right. Uh, Gary Neville's now saying that uh, 
Ten Hag should be aiming for the Champions League in two years' time. <laughs> they were in the Champions League. They were in the Champions League this year in February. They were just they were in the knockout rounds of the Champions League this very year. They're losing out to Arsenal now. And he's saying gave it two years. This team that he thought should be winning the league this year. Now yeah. it's two years to get back in the top four ahead of Arsenal. He also said they were in the top five teams in Europe at the start of the season. That was a team that had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as their manager. <laughs> Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Why does everybody care about the match of the day running order? <laughs> Honestly, God, like Gary Lindegar gets grief every Saturday night. The, the poor fucker, like, he's just trying to promote. Like, here's what's coming up tonight. Like, here's all the football that you can enjoy. You can rewatch. We can. We're going to analyze it. It's going to be a good crack. And it's just like, oh, of course you're starting with Liverpool first. It's like, well, there's four games to go and they are chasing top spot in the league. And and the reason for that, that they outlined, was that they, it made sense to do chronologically because Liverpool went ahead of Man City, so they wanted to try and bring that drama to the shooter. But why does he even have to explain? Because, like, do people have such... Are people only watching Match of the Day for 15 minutes? So if, <laughs> if their team isn't on first, it's like, fuck that. Like, well, did they not watch the whole show? Well, well, what does it matter if your team's last or first? Like, why does it matter if you get two less minutes of Danny Murphy or Alan Shearer analyzing your team? Who cares? <laughs> because people want to believe that other people care about them. Like, people need, people need to see and hear a 60-year-old man read out the name of the club they've chosen to bespeak to support because of an accident at birth before he reads out the name of a club that thousands of strangers have chosen to support because of an accident at the birth <laughs> to make them feel right in the world. At least that must be it because I'd rather believe that's the way in which people are pathetic than accept that we live in a world where people want to hear Danny Murphy and Alan Shear talk about a game of football. I mean, it's not, it's not like every match, extended highlights, short highlights, official Sky Sports highlights, fucking fan reviews, club reviews, interviews, behind-the-scenes access aren't available if you just go on to the internet. You don't need to hear it dissected. Sorry, butchered by Danny Murphy and Alan Shearer afterwards. I'm just realising now that Match of the Day is the original... the original, you know, tweet, Twitter person who comes along and says... Liverpool are a good side, and I'm a United fan. <laughs> Match of the day is that big entity now, this big neutral entity. He's got no ties, no biases, and he does tell you who is the most important team in the country every Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, and if he's putting on the title challenge at the start of the show, he's probably right, to be honest. <laughs> From Match of the Day to BT Sport, can you think of a... Can you think of a... A worse existence than Jake Humphreys. <laughs> That's probably a bit harsh, but God, like I, I, I almost feel a bit of sympathy for him if he wasn't so annoying, right? Before the Newcastle game, he's getting absolutely roasted, rightly so. He's he just gets carried away, and he just wants people to like him. And like most people who want people to like him, they're usually not that likable. Jake Humphrey is there trying to be one of the lads of Michael Owen and Peter Crouch and Rio Ferdinand but even those boys know not to react as he says in St James's Park as always with this club with people standing on the sidelines looking to snipe <laughs> they're finding that hard to do now the way this club's being run aren't they <laughs> <laughs> and the, the viral tweet was just like that that's Amnesty International told uh-huh. but uh, you know Jake Humphrey came out and said I appreciate how it looks let me be absolutely clear 
Eddie Howe had left us moments before this, and we were talking about him, my praise, when I said they were squarely at Eddie Howe and his staff. Yeah, it doesn't really sound plausible, but um, yeah, per Jake Humphreys, who tried to claim that he was basically the first person into the podcast space in 2020. <laughs> and yeah. now he's uh, finding himself defending Newcastle. Yeah, I'd say whenever he invented the podcast, he didn't think he'd be getting ripped to shreds in that very medium just two short years later, Connor. That's really blown up in his face, hasn't it? And look, I haven't I haven't seen the clip in its entirety because my only engagement with Jake Humphreys is, unsurprisingly, the bollocks you fucking plague me with every once in a while. But now you're also telling me that, uh, <laughs> that Jake Humphreys is an absolute wanker. And like, that's not, not remotely, remotely surprising. Like Nobody questioned the appointment of Eddie Howe. Nobody was screaming, you're getting rid of Steve Bruce for Eddie Howe. <laughs> Amnesty International are focusing on the wrong things here. Someone needs to investigate this. This is fucking madness. I, I also, he said something along the lines of, yeah, like he said there, I, w- I only watched the clip. I only watched the clip once, so I'm going to have to trust you here. And I'm paraphrasing that people were taking snips at, at Newcastle. Like as if, as if that is in any way a thing that's bespoke to Newcastle. Like opposition fans taking the piss, having a pop. Sure, you'd be here until next week trying to stitch together just the clips of me calling Peppa cunt or you calling Kane a cheating wanker. It would fucking it would take you as long as it takes Harry Maguire to get turned to pull together all the Harry Maguire can't turn jokes we've made. <laughs> It's it's been a hell of a year for Jack, yeah. Like you know, it's it's ending with him taking on Amnesty International. It's it's a detour around him claiming to be one of the first people to to give this podcast space a chance when everybody told him not to. It was too niche, and it probably started, I suppose, last year when he he congratulated Frank Lampard for Chelsea winning the Champions League. It's, <laughs> it's been quite a tournament. Look, maybe I have a bit of sympathy for him because I, I think it's just. This isn't a, a, a good trait of his, but I think he's just a shill who says things that he thinks will make people like him. And I think if I'm being honest and looking at myself, I think I'm an enabler who pretends to people like him that I like them. So like if he was if he was in my space and spending time with me and saying shit like that, I think I would sort of be nodding along, be like, Yeah, 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 you know, Jack, you're all right actually and then going away and saying to you, What an absolute clown he is. <laughs> so not only do I have the clips that you send me to be annoyed at you for thinking Jake Humphrey's a fucking wank you're also telling me it's your fault it's people like you that have created this fucking monster I told you about the boy like the boy was taking coke beside me on the plane to Denmark and <laughs> rather than just asking him to stop or like alert him to somebody it's just I just want an easy life. So, well, actually, no, I go beyond wanting an easy life. Like, I end up saying to him, oh, how are you feeling now? Like, I'm one of the lads. I'm cool. Like, you know, don't don't mind me. Like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna cause any hassle here. It's like, you know, and then, like, ripples in a pond. I'm just positively encouraging him. You, know, you take your coke in the middle aisle of a plane. Like, you know, don't worry about it. People, <laughs> people like me are going to make it okay for you. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable thing to do. Last one. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. What was Alec Ferguson writing down for Sam Allardyce last night at the United game. Uh, <laughs> don't know if anybody's seen the clip, but it looks very much like Sam Allardyce is getting an autograph of Alec Ferguson. Um, I had two thoughts. One of them was the the game that John Terry was playing last year where he was doing this elaborate circle game where you bring your index finger and your thumb <laughs> together and 
I think Alex Ferguson could well have just been drawing that out for Sam Allardyce as if to say to him, fuck off. Like, you know, instead of writing fuck off, he just writes the circle hand on the page where he draws it. Or or maybe Sam Allardyce saw Alex Ferguson came over with his newspaper and asked him to circle around a few uh, tips for the horse racing next weekend. <laughs> or maybe maybe Big Sam's got some sort of sting operation going. Like, he's probably... He's probably trying to get Fergie to sign a contract that says he'll he'll help some businessmen get around third party ownership rules. Like if he, <laughs> if he can take down Fergie, nobody will ever speak about how much of a moron he was to get involved in that sort of nonsense after he bumbled his way to the pinnacle of English football, his fucking dream. But of course, that just assumes that Sam Allardyce has any sort of self awareness that he doesn't have the greatest imbalance between fucking arrogance and reasons to be arrogant out of anyone involved in the game of football. It also assumes that he recognises that Alex Ferguson has had a better career than him. That Alex Ferguson, who Sam Allardyce thinks was born in a little place called Govan on the banks of the River Cleed, as the only explanation for the fact that he is chosen as the Man United manager over fucking Alex or over Sam Allardyce. So maybe, maybe, maybe in fact, maybe in fact, he's just been hired by the FA to carry out this thing in the same way that Frank Frank Abagnale was hired by the FBI. Can't fucking wait for that film adaptation. Catch this fucking eighty-yard pass with snow on it if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I am so happy you brought up the Sam Allardyce thing again because <laughs> because I haven't talked about Talk Sport or Trevor Sinclair for a while, <laughs> and oh, it's it's so funny. <laughs> Trevor Sinclair mustn't have heard the story before, but somebody puts it to Trevor Sinclair like, "Why, why doesn't Sean Dyche get a top six job?" And you know, instead of Sinclair, like, he doesn't have to slag Sean Dyche. You can say like, "Yeah, maybe, maybe you could get a, maybe you could get a top twelve team and start with that, and then see if you can build them up a bit further and take them the top six. But, but Trevor Sinclair just you know gets caught up in the moment and feels like he has to give a strong opinion, and not what he does. He goes as far as saying if. If Deitch was called Deitchio, he would be given a top six job. <laughs> <laughs> has he not even heard the story of Sam Allardyce before? Has he not seen the fucking abuse he's been getting for years? But of course, it, it's Trevor Sinclair, so it doesn't really get picked up. Nobody really cares. But he said those words, and the word just carried on moving. <laughs> and the guy didn't even bark responding to him because he's a fucking talk sport presenter he just nods along and thinks that this muppet has made a good point he's actually he's writing it down he's putting the clip together ready to put it out on twitter because he knows that's the moment where talk sport has peaked in its analysis of football <laughs> and to be honest it probably fucking is as well given the shit you've talked about in this show before that's probably that's probably the most nuanced and clever thing that they've ever actually said it's probably actually the most accurate thing they've ever said even though there's not a shred of proof to it or any sort of intellect or yeah. knowledge about the game of football attached to it. It's the closest. It's the closest they've gotten. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's this is probably the peak for this podcast now as well. We've done well out of a, a boring enough Norwich game. Although you give us give us a few days, and this is what happens. You get a podcast like this. No idea what it was like. Thanks if you made it this far. One last reminder: we are going to be late with the Burnley game. We are going to be late with the Burnley game podcast. We are going to... <laughs> but thanks a million for listening and uh, yeah, we'll chat to you next week. All the best. That wind is calling my name And I won't wait Or I'll never get on